stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Welcome back. Rob Breckenridge with you. Look, obviously what unfolded last Wednesday at the U.S. Capitol was uh, abhorrence, horrifying. Could have been a lot worse, as ugly as it was. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're looking to put a lot of words on it to try to better understand all of this. I mean, there, there was violence and mayhem, absolutely. It certainly had, uh, in a broad sense, a political goal to disrupt the counting uh, of the Electoral College votes to try to somehow uh, keep Donald Trump as president. Perhaps for some, there was something even more sinister. There's certainly indication that there were attempts here to uh, exact violence on the politicians themselves, uh, even including the vice president or the speaker of the House. And obviously, uh, we're all very fortunate that that didn't happen. But was this an insurrection? Was it sedition? Those all have a specific meaning, but so too does terrorism. Was this domestic terrorism? It was violence. It had a political objective. But... Does that meet the threshold of terrorism? And more specifically, do any of these groups who were involved meet that definition? Story here today from Global News. The bulk of the online platforms used by the Canadian branches of the Proud Boys were gone as of Monday as the group faced mounting pressure in the wake of last week's violence in the U.S. Capitol. Proud Boys Canada page, as well as those of the Toronto, Montreal, Calgary, and three other regional chapters, uh, were all on the social media platform parlor, which went offline. And there's been some talk in Canada about whether this group should be labeled a terrorist organization, something the federal government appears to at least be looking at. Now, we do have a list of banned terrorist entities in Canada. Uh, There are some specific criteria involved. So does any of this meet the threshold? Now, joining us uh, to talk a bit more about uh, some of these questions, very pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon, uh, Stephanie Carvin who is uh, an associate professor at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. Professor Carvin, always great to have you with us here. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on. So as I say, I mean, a a lot of words have been used to describe what went down last week in Washington. Do do you think the word terrorism uh, applies at all here, first of all? Well... Yeah, I'm going to say... Did we lose the guest? Stephanie, are you still there? That was really strange. Um, Okay, Patrick, we'll we'll get uh, Professor Carvin back on the line here. It seemed for a second like that was just maybe uh, a moment uh, of pondering, but no, I'm not sure what happened there. So we'll get uh, Stephanie Carvin back on the line uh, and get her thoughts on this. Because, I mean, yeah, look, the, the word terrorism... You know, sometimes we, you know, we have the conversation about why we're reluctant to use the word terrorism. Other times the conversation is about whether we use it uh, too frequently or too often or too loosely. Let's try that again. Uh, Stephanie, you there? Yeah. uh, Wow. Okay. Okay. There's no (laughs) security disruptions of the phone call. Right. Um, Indeed. It's a really it's a really loaded word. And it's a word we've used a lot uh, in the past two decades since since 9-11. Look, in the Canadian definition, um, basically, you are considered to be involved in a terrorist action if you decide to if you are motivated by an ideological, religious or political cause. And if you are doing so for the purpose of intimidating the public. 
So um, in that sense, there were definitely people in there that were engaged, if not in terrorist acts, but acts of violent extremism. This isn't to say that everyone there was a terrorist per se. Um, There were people there who were clearly just, um, to be fair, I think, uh, you know, taking advantage of a situation. Um, But they created a permissive environment, let's be honest, where some terrible actions took place. But it's also extremely clear that there were people there who uh, what are what the FBI would describe as domestic extremists or what would probably be considered a terrorist act under Canadian law. I, I don't think we should. So in that sense, to describe the entire event as a terrorist event, I think might be an exaggeration. But were there people there engaged in activity that could rightfully be called terrorism? I believe that is correct. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because... You know, the, the people who were there and, you know, some were attached to definable groups. And I guess the Proud Boys have become a kind of a focal point because they have a name and a brand and their followers wear T-shirts. But, you know, others were just really enthusiastic supporters of Donald Trump. There are many who were at adherence to this whole QAnon conspiracy theory. And, you know, we, we saw back with the Pizzagate conspiracy theory and and the guy who showed up armed to the teeth at a a Washington uh, pizza restaurant as a result of it, that, you know, that that can lead to violence, but you can't label a a conspiracy theory as as a terrorist organization. So how how do you treat that kind of extremism? Right. So not, I I think this is important, not every kind of extremism is necessarily a violent extremism. Um, And I think that's an important thing to, to remember. So, um, and, and not every kind of extremism requires a national security response. In, in some cases, it may be kind of a wider discussion about democratic values in the state and, and things like this. So, um, you know, a lot of people don't believe me when I say, like, look, one of the most important actors right now when it comes to disinformation in Canada is actually Canadian heritage, not thesis, not the CSE, because Canadian heritage has the Canadian values mandate. Right. So you don't want to turn absolutely everything into a security issue. I think that's correct. At the same time, we do know there is a relationship between terrorism and conspiracy theories. Pretty much every single violent extremist group has within its subset of some kind of conspiratorial belief, whether it's a belief in world government, whether it's uh, various like anti-Semitic uh, conspiracy theories, whether it's, uh, you know, belief in, in, you know, the guy who, you know, we're only, um, you know, two, two and a half weeks ago, a guy in Tennessee blew up um, an entire street because he believed that there were lizard people. And I'm not exaggerating. He literally believed there were lizard people. Um, so it's, it's, you know, they're, Conspiracy theories, I think, create that permissive environment where, yes, not everyone who was at that rally was a, a, a terrorist in and of themselves. But did they participate in an environment and help propagate this kind of uh, both online and in real life space where these kind of extremist views then fly and then these extremist actions can then take place? Absolutely. And this is why we have to be careful with conspiracy theories. Um, not every conspiracy theory is, is deadly. I mean, the idea, so a lot of people don't believe a man walked on the moon. They believe it was all a hoax. Okay, fair enough. But a lot of these conspiracy theories do have very harmful effects, whether it is the QAnon that you just spoke of, whether it's the idea that, um, that uh, 5G is causing um, uh, cancer or, or um, causing the coronavirus in some cases. So, I, you know, and those have, like, you know, kind of social harm effects. 
And then you have the ones on QAnon where it's like there is a cabal of Satan worshiping pedophiles that are trying to harvest children to suck up their energy. And Donald Trump is secretly trying to fight them. And we have to take our fight to Washington. Literally. Yeah. I mean, it's a bad it's a bad situation. Right. And I think we need specific solutions to to specific problems. If if the issue here is uh, solely the proud boys and what we think they might be involved in, then, then that's a different conversation, because there are reasons why we have these these listed organizations and why that law allows us to more specifically target them. But, you know, listing someone as, as a terrorist organization, it doesn't address the problem that you just outlined, right? So if we've got problems with conspiracy theories and extremism, that, that seems like it requires a different kind of solution, doesn't it? I 100% agree with what you just said. And I think one of the problems we've had over the you know last two decades or so is the idea that every time there's a problem like this, we want to make it a security issue, right? But, you know, mm-hmm. CSIS can't convince you that QAnon isn't real. Um, you know, um, you know, we're dealing with a, a number of things that, uh, you know, uh, require much harder. So it, it's actually really easy to put CSIS on a problem, right? Like, okay, CSIS, go look at this, right? Or mm-hmm. RCMP, go look at that. That's actually a really, like, easy solution, but it's not necessarily the best solution to a complex problem. You know, um, how are we educating our citizens on democratic values? Um, what are we, are we calling out politicians who are making inflammatory statements? Are we, um, you know, uh, funding different community groups to do, uh, you know, help them interact better with, with the community? Um, do people, you know, healthy, resilient communities, I think at the end of the day, are going to be communities that trust their governments more, that um, believe in the state more. And so, you know, I mean, these are kind of these kind of broader solutions. I, I, I don't necessarily think we're going to be better off if, uh, we try to solve all the problems that happened with Capitol Hill with um, just law enforcement or national security. I think there, there's a lot of societal issues that have to take place. That being said, those people who did participate in political violence, I think, should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. And, yeah. you know, we should not be afraid to call people who did engage in violent extremists. Uh, violent extremism, we should call, you know, feel free to call them violent extremists and mm-hmm. make sure that they are held to account and possibly some of the politicians that made this happen in the first place. So what are the advantages if, I mean, not, not to use the Proud Boys, but I mean, a, a hypothetical example of an organization that, that meets the criteria uh, of being a, a terrorist organization and falling on this list. So how, how does it change the way in which, you know, we, we deal with them? What are the advantages of going this route where it's warranted? So operationally, not that much, uh, actually. So um, you don't have to be, you know, if you're engaging in violent extremism or terrorism, it doesn't have to be for the purpose of a specific entity, right? Like you can still be investigated. Like, let's say, um, again, you're, you're worried about the lizard people and you want to blow things up because of the, li- the lizard people. Um, that Well, the lizard people group is not listed as a terrorist entity. That doesn't mean you can't be investigated for kind of violent extremism or terrorist uh, or terrorism. What what it does do is a couple of things. One is that um, I, I think probably the most significant consequence is financial. The um, if you are a listed terrorist entity, um, then uh, various banks have the ability to ensure that you are not getting money. Uh, you can't open a bank account. Uh, if you have certain assets, they can be seized. 
um, you know, by the state if they find them and they think that they're being used to to further terrorist ends. So um, it, it's really the financial, I think, that is probably the most significant out of all this. And secondly, it might be easier to prosecute you if you do something that's being seen as furthering your different political, ideological, or religious ends. So I think that's the other thing that it does. It doesn't actually have a huge burden uh, or it doesn't actually have a huge impact operationally um, on on the on the various, um, like I said, like uh, national security agencies. But uh, financially, those organizations can be crippled. So um, the other thing is too that I think should be clear is um, in Canada under Canadian law, you have you. It's not just being a member of a group. So let's say you're a member of the Proud Boys, and if you are a member of the Proud Boys, please stop um, and possibly speak to a lawyer. But um, I think that what you the, the key thing is here. It's it's not just being a member of a group. You actually have to do something in furtherance of the cause. So, you know, um, it's it, like, let's just say you decide to join the Proud Boys. They actually have a procedure that you join them. Um, I believe you have to list a bunch of breakfast cereals while a bunch of men are trying to punch you. Um, is their initiation right? Um, or at least one of them. <laughs> they actually have a joining thing. So just joining the Proud Boys is not enough for you to be prosecuted. But you do have to show that they have done something in furtherance of their cause. So um, I think once that takes place, then, then you can potentially be in, in a lot of trouble. So, I mean, bottom line, then, if we're concerned that some of these groups might potentially uh, be some kind of a threat here, this kind of extremism might be a threat here, we've got ways of dealing with it, right? We, we don't necessarily have to rush to, to add certain groups to certain lists. I think that's right. But I think I think what the government is concerned with is if you do look at our list of terrorist entities, it wasn't until last year that you had far right groups ever listed. So last year um, it was Blood and Honor and Combat 18. They actually um, I believe Combat 18 is the militant wing of Blood and Honor. Um, They are a far right group and they were the first ones to ever be listed. Um, so I think that is the case with regard to, uh, you know, is there an optic scenario here? I, I think so. There's two ways really to be listed on the, uh, that list. The first one is the UN actually has a list of terrorist entities and we have to follow the UN Security Council when it declares an organization to be a terrorist entity. So we put that on the list, uh, as well as we can designate our own. So the question is, should we just do Proud Boys? But I mean, look, my understanding from talking to people at public safety is that it's not just the Proud Boys, that there could potentially be a list of of different far-right organizations that they've been looking at. Certainly there's um, other more violent ones. The Proud Boys are are in the news this week, but I mean, there's other groups like the Adam Watson Division, um, uh, as well as um, a group called The Base. If people remember Patrick Matthews, who is a, a Canadian Armed Forces reservist, he crossed into the United States and then tried to take place in, in some kind of violent overthrow of a state legislature. Um, so I think that the, those groups could potentially be listed as well. I, I strongly suspect sometime this year we will see a number of these groups being listed. The question that you're asking is, is, is there a rush to do so? It, it, it really depends. I mean, it, it's a, such a difficult question in terms of what difference would it make. I think there is calls from you know, different civil society groups to be like, we need to take, be looking, at least looking to take a stronger stand against white and violent white supremacy. Um, uh, you know, we've seen so many kind of different low level attacks in recent years that don't always make the national news, but it have definitely happened. 
And if we are able to, like, at least look like we're taking a stronger stand, for a stand, perhaps the communities will will be safer. So I do think there is that political element to it. Um, but also, you know, if Canadians are funding money, giving money to the Proud Boys so that they can go down to the states and participate in these events or try and hold similar rallies here, I think the government would probably want to try and stop that because we know the Proud Boys were not just involved in the Capitol Hill incidents that happened last week, but also things like Charlottesville, where um, which was organized by a former member of the Proud Boys, um, who uh, you know where we saw activists being killed when vehicles rammed into them. Well, we'll leave it there. I always appreciate the insight, Professor Carvin. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Always a pleasure to do your show. Thanks. All right, take care. Stephanie Carvin, Associate Professor, Norman Patterson School of International Affairs, Carleton University. All right, we're a little long in this segment here. we got to take a break. Back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.